Welcome to episode 64 of Unformedable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded Mets in this franchise's quirky history. Because for us, every player who dons the orange and blue is in some way or another unformedable. My name is Christian Romo. I'm filling in this week for Rob. Rob's episode last week got me thinking about Eric Valent, which I guess is the point of this podcast. I realized that while starting up the episode, I couldn't tell you a single thing about Eric Valent. What he looks like, what hand he threw with, what position he played, any discernible feature about his playing style, really. But despite not knowing a single thing about Eric Valent, the baseball player, I could pretty confidently tell you that Eric Valent was a baseball player, and that he played on the Mets in the early to mid-2000s. I don't remember this from watching baseball, as this was the early to mid-2000s and I lived in California with very few opportunities to watch my favorite team. I read preseason magazines and played video games, but don't really remember Valent on the Mets' MVP Baseball 2004 roster, or the MVP Baseball 2005 roster, for that matter. So why did I remember Eric Valent? The only source that makes sense to me is baseball cards. I gave all of my cards away before entering college, but when I was a child I collected cards, and especially Mets cards, pretty voraciously. And it wouldn't surprise me if I had a few tops Eric Valent stacked up on my desk. Mystery not exactly solved, but it gave me a little bit of comfort having a good lead. So when I was asked to fill in for Rob this week, the first thing I did was head to Eric Valent's baseball reference page for ideas. Maybe if I could find someone with a similar stat line to Valent's, I would be able to come up with a robust episode topic, but then I figured that would be looking for a needle in a haystack. Then I thought of looking for the least impactful player on that 2004 Mets team, a team that I faintly remember, but it was a year away before I started following them in earnest in 2005. That brought me to Joe Hietpus, a career minor league catcher with a cup of coffee for the Mets late in the season, a guy without a single major league plate appearance. Not much material there. But right below Hietpus was a 28-year-old with only one plate appearance in 2004 with a name I couldn't shake, Essex Sneed. I don't remember Essex Sneed on the Mets, but reading his name gave me the same feeling I had when I read Eric Valence. I know this guy is a baseball player from the early to mid-2000s, but why? Some quick Google searching led me to my answer. Essex Sneed's Topps 2001 rookie card with the St. Louis Cardinals, of which I probably had three or four on my desk. I might have used him as a bookmark when I was younger, which would explain why I know of him and why I don't associate him with my favorite baseball team. But Essex Sneed only saw action in 18 Major League games throughout his career, and not for the Cardinals, but for the Mets, which is why he's the subject of this week's episode. If the Mets had a Hall of Fame for names, then Essex Sneed would almost certainly be a first ballot selection. He sounds like the British supervillain in a TV show about cartoon animals. Or the bumbling aristocrat betrothed to our uninterested leading lady in a Lifetime movie about Victorian England. Sneed is pronounced like Speed, of which he had plenty, and Essex like the county in New Jersey. Someone on the Ultimate Mets database wrote that he was fortunate not to have been a shortstop with a name like Essex. I understand it's more of a visual joke, but I still found it pretty funny. Essex Sneed was born in Fort Myers, Florida, and played baseball and football at the University of Central Florida, where the Knights won the Atlantic Sun Conference Tournament in 1995, 96, and 97 while Sneed was an outfielder. The St. Louis Cardinals picked Sneed in the 18th round of the 1998 draft, the same round where Adam LaRoche was selected. Sneed was actually only one of three players the Cardinals drafted that year that ended up with a positive war, the other two being first-round pick J.D. Drew and ninth-round pick Jack Wilson. The book on Sneed was fairly straightforward. No bat, unremarkable glove, and elite speed. Not just best in the system or best in the league, but who turned out to be one of the fastest players in all of professional baseball. 
Snead stole 42 bases in just 58 games in 1998 for the New Jersey Cardinals, and then bumped that number up to 64 stolen bases for the Potomac Cannons and the Peoria Chiefs in 1999. While playing the entire 2000 season for Potomac, Snead stole a Carolina League record 109 bases, a mark that still stands and will forever stand now that the Carolina League is no more. And while stealing 109 bases in a full baseball season is certainly impressive, getting only 116 hits and close to 500 at-bats is not. 2000 was arguably his best season in the minors offensively up to that point, and with a respectable 340 on-base percentage and that speed and high A, one could easily pencil in Snead as a prototypical leadoff hitter. But he showed no power whatsoever, registering only 18 base hits and finishing the season with an ugly 282 slugging percentage. But the speed was still there, and even if Snead was a one-tool player, that one-tool was too blazing to ignore. The Mets claimed Snead off of waivers after the 2001 season and brought him to AA Binghamton in 2002, where he stole a league-high 66 bases and raised his OPS to 661. This was enough to merit a September call-up for the last-place Mets, and Snead made his Major League debut during a doubleheader against the Florida Marlins on September 3rd. He ran for Mike Piazza in the bottom of the 7th in Game 1 and recorded a plate appearance in Game 2, coming in on a double switch in the 8th inning. He reached first base on an error by first baseman Derek Lee, no doubt helped by him sprinting down the line. He had all the trappings of a career minor leaguer with a cup of coffee in the bigs, but if you take a look at Essex Snead's baseball reference page, his career stat line just below his headshot looks very strange. He has a career .2 war in just 13 at-bats, which is fairly productive. Even stranger is his slash line, an average of 308, an on-base percentage of 357, and a slugging percentage of 538, good for a 136 OPS+, plus, or 36% more productive than a league average hitter. These are numbers that any fan would accept of their team's best hitter today, not just a September call-up with a bare scouting report. The numbers seem to indicate that this dude could really play when he was given a chance. So what happened? Well, for one, his 896 OPS was more than 200 points higher than any full-season OPS he ever registered in the minor leagues, so calling his September 2002 success a fluke is at least on the table. But hitting for an 896 OPS in the majors is still hitting for an 896 OPS in the majors, and his September 2002 production extrapolated over a full season would have made Snead a 1-2 win player, certainly good enough to make any major league roster, and especially the last place Mets. So why wasn't he given another shot? A closer look at the game logs show that virtually all of Snead's career offensive output comes from just two games. The second of these two games was the second leg of a doubleheader against the Braves on September 27th, where Snead made his first and only career start batting leadoff against the 18-game winner Kevin Millwood. Snead reached on a bunt single in the first inning and promptly stole second, eventually scoring on a Jeremy Burnett's ground out. He singled again against Millwood in the bottom of the sixth, this time more conventionally with a ground ball between first and third, though the inning ended three pitches later with a Dimo Pérez pop-up. The Mets lost 7-4, and Snead never started another game in the majors. But that's not the game I want to focus on. Snead played a game on September 21st, 2002 that truly made him unformidable, one that still lives in grainy YouTube footage and expert-level Mets trivia. It can only be called the Essex-Snead game, and even though it was just for one moment, it's a moment that should go down in the franchise's history books, at least as a parenthetical. The game started like most other Mets games that September, with Snead on the bench. In his 13 Major League appearances up to that point, Snead only walked up to the plate five times, because in nine of those games, the Mets employed him exclusively as a pinch runner or a late-inning defensive replacement. 
He didn't seem particularly good at pinch running either, successfully stealing bases just as many times as he got caught. He also hadn't recorded a hit just yet, reaching first on that error against the Marlins in his very first plate appearance and doing basically nothing every other time up to bat. So when Essex Sneed entered the Mets' September 21st game against the Montreal Expos, he once again took up the role that was asked of him, as a late-inning pinch runner. The Mets were down 3-2 in the bottom of the 8th inning when pinch hitter Raul Gonzalez singled off of Expos reliever Scott Stewart. After a Roberto Alomar's strikeout, Mets manager Bobby Valentine called on Snead to replace Gonzalez as the pinch runner, representing the team's tying run with Mo Vaughn up to bat. On a 1-2 count, Snead took off for second base, but Stewart interrupted the proceedings and picked him off. First baseman Brad Wilkerson tossed the ball to shortstop Jamie Carroll, who tagged Snead out before he could reach second. Vaughn struck out on the very next pitch to end the inning, and it appeared as if Snead's night was essentially over. But then the last-place Mets decided to give it a shot against the fourth-place Expos. With the Mets down 3-2 in the bottom of the ninth, Edgardo Alfonso drew a leadoff walk and then stole second on a Ty Wigginton strikeout. Vance Wilson then singled to right field, but too sharply to score Alfonso from second as he pulled up to third base. Joe McEwing lined out to second base for the second out, sending a pinch hitter Brady Clark to try to salvage the game. On an 0-2 pitch, Clark slapped an outside slider to first base and stumbled out of the box thinking he had just ended the game. The grainy YouTube footage isn't terribly conclusive, but either because the pitcher Tim Drew didn't get over to first base quickly enough or because the ground ball pulled him closer to second, first baseman Andres Galarraga, who was only at first after an unsuccessful pinch hit appearance in the top of the inning, decided to try to get the force out at second. I'm not sure a good throw would have gotten the pinch runner Marco Scudero out at second anyway, but the speculation is worthless because the throw was bad. It sailed over Carroll and rolled into left field, allowing Alfonso to score and for Scudero to advance to third. Roger Cedeno flew out to center field to end the inning, but the Mets were back in this essentially meaningless game. Armando Benitez retired the side in 11 pitches in the top of the 10th, and in the bottom of the inning, courtesy of Alfonso's heroics and Galarraga's mistake, Essex Sneed got to lead off, which likely wasn't in Valentine's plans. He batted right-handed against the left-hander Joey Aishin, and initially he looked pretty overmatched. Sneed tried to drag bunt on a first pitch fastball low and outside, honestly a good pitch to drag bunt towards first base, but pulled back as the umpire called the strike. Sneed then watched a fastball sail high and outside, and then swung through a 92 mile an hour fastball low and inside, looking completely turned around in the process. The scouting report started to look pretty clear. But then Sneed got a hold of Aishin's fastest pitch, roping a 94-mile-an-hour fastball high and outside to center field, reaching first base not because a coach put him there or an infielder made a mistake, but for the first time in the majors on his own merit. Possibly aware of Sneed at first, Aishin threw the very next pitch to Alomar wild, and Sneed scampered to second base, representing the winning run in scoring position with no one out. Alomar worked a walk, and then, unsurprisingly against new pitcher Dan Smith, the middle of the order wasted the opportunity. A Vaughn strikeout, an Alfonso flyout, and a Jason Phillips flyout ended the inning. Sneed would have to win the game himself. Benitez came out again in the 11th and did his thing. He struck out Smith, with the Expos presumably out of bench players, gave up a bunt single to future Mets legend Andy Chavez, and then forced a line out to Carroll before striking out Vladimir Guerrero to end the inning. Ray Ordonez grounded out to begin the bottom of the 11th. After hitting Joe McEwing, Smith struck out Clark for the second out of the inning. He then walked Cedeno, presumably because he was the more feared hitter batting before Sneed in the lineup. That would turn out to be a big mistake. Sneed took the left side of the box this time with the right-handed Smith on the hill. He swung through a first pitch curveball, once again looking overmatched against big league pitching. The YouTube footage gets especially grainy starting from this point, but it appears as if Smith went back to the curveball, except he hung it letter high where Sneed got his first hit the previous inning. 
Sneed swung and blasted it towards right center field, shouting at the ball to get out. He still hustled down first, since that was what he was paid to do, but for only the ninth time of his professional career, he could slow into a trot, unafraid of anyone tagging him out on the base paths. The ball sailed into the Mets' right field bullpen for a game-winning three-run home run, his first and what would turn out to be the only home run and runs batted in for his major league career. Sneed raised his fist as the ball crested over the fence and then pumped it as he rounded second, getting swallowed by a swarm of black shirts at home plate. He broke away from the mob and threw his helmet down before high-fiving everyone who threw a hand up. The camera cut to Smith shoving an empty Gatorade cooler in the dugout, and then back to Sneed, enjoying what had to have been up to that point the best moment in his career. After the game, Sneed told reporters that he would give the home run ball to his girlfriend, saying that she was at the game and was his good luck charm. The pitcher Dan Smith wasn't quite a September call-up like Sneed, but he had a pretty short career as well and pulled out the money quote after the game. I think I hung a breaking ball, he said. He'll remember it for his whole life, and I'll remember it for my whole life. That's just the way it goes. According to SNY's Jacob Resnick, Sneed is one of only six Mets whose first career home run was a go-ahead home run in extra innings. In fact, no Met hit his first RBI in a walk-off at bat after Sneed until Patrick Nazika did it just earlier this year. I thought at first that Essex Sneed might be the only player in Major League history who walked off with his first Major League home run, but Luke Williams did just that earlier this year for the Phillies, and he's the fourth player in that franchise's history to ever do it, so it's probably not as exclusive a club as I originally thought. But it's still really special to have your first home run be a walk-off, even in a meaningless September game between two bottom-of-the-division teams, and even if it's the only home run of your career. But why was it the only home run that Snead ever hit in the majors? Why didn't he get another chance? Well, the very next year was arguably Snead's worst year of professional baseball. Playing the entire season at AAA Norfolk, Snead managed only 23 extra base hits and 472 at-bats, registering a pretty bad 294 slugging percentage. His strikeouts were up and his walks were down from the year previous, and he failed to earn a September call-up with a 581 OPS. He did, however, match his single-season home run record with three. Needless to say, he never became much of a power threat, as he averaged a home run once every 71 games throughout his nine-year minor league career. It's kind of a miracle he was able to hit one in the major leagues at all, as that magical walk-off accounts for 7% of his career home run total. Seriously, 14 home runs in 9 seasons kind of makes you wonder why he got 9 professional seasons in the first place, at least if you're judging by modern standards. But Sneed still had the speed with 61 stolen bases in 2003, and one could squint hard enough and still see a prototypical leadoff man with enough development. The trouble for Sneed was that the Mets already had a player at AAA Norfolk in 2003 that could run just as well, hit for power, and played a premium position. His name was Jose Reyes, and he was the team's shortstop of the future, and more importantly for our purposes, their leadoff hitter of the future, which didn't leave much room for Snead in the team's plans. Snead played one more season at Norfolk in 2004, had arguably his best season with a 664 OPS in 79 games, and even got called up for a game against the Rockies on May 21st. He ended his major league career just as he started it, by pinch running for Mike Piazza. He scored on a Jason Phillips double, and then never played in the majors again. Entering free agency in 2005, Snead signed with the Braves and played 95 games at AAA Richmond, stealing 46 bases and hitting for a 662 OPS. His offensive trajectory had somewhat improved, but now approaching 30 years old, it wasn't clear he would ever reach a level of major league productivity. The Orioles took a flyer on Snead in 2006 and put him in AAA Ottawa, and then released him on May 21st after 41 games, exactly two years after he made his last major league appearance. After nine seasons mostly spent in the minors, Essex Sneed's professional baseball career was done.
Sneed's online social presence is fairly non-existent today, but with such a unique name, it's not impossible to find him. Over the past decade, he's been coaching in the giant Florida youth baseball scene, mostly in the central and northern parts of the state. There's a few tweeted pictures of him demonstrating base running techniques, and it's hard to think of a better person to teach the art. He is, after all, the only 21st century minor leaguer to steal over 500 bases in the minor leagues, which admittedly is a bit of a crash data stat. He might be the last baseball player ever to steal 500 bases in the minors, no doubt an impressive achievement, but any minor league record-breaking stat is also a painful reminder of how much time one spent in the minors, so maybe it's not best to bring it up. But for one magical night in Queens, Essex Sneed penciled himself into the franchise's history books. It constituted more than half of his offensive output in his short major league career, but it was enough to make him unformidable. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Please follow Unformidable on social and welcome back Rob when you return. And as always, let's go Mets. <laughs>